Hello everyone. This week and throughout the summer, I'm going to be doing podcasts based on either things I've written or reading blog posts from at least a year ago that either haven't had as much love as I think they deserve or uh, I think are just worth making more available on a podcast. Uh, but it is the summer holidays, so they will be quite not rushed but not maybe as polished. Also, I'm desperately trying to sort out this audio. So if there's a lot of explosive plosives, uh, which is fun to say, then I apologize. Um, I am, I'm aware of it and I am trying to sort it out. I think there's a difference. I've got to get the right distance at my pop shield. It doesn't seem to be working, but we, we'll see. Um, so yes, this week uh, comes from my blog posts from July 2021. It was a two-parter called I Read David Williams's Books So You Don't Have To. And I think in total, let's have a look here. 226 plus 488, so we'll look what A is, uh, 14, 4, and sort of 4, whatever, 8, 9, 11, so 14, 6, 714 total views. That's not bad. That's not bad. But, um, you know, many of you won't have looked back that far, and some of you listened to this. Anyway, this is now an audio version of those two blog posts. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, also, I've tried to catch myself whenever I've done it. It is David Walliams, but I think a couple times I've called him David Williams. I apologise. It is Walliams. David, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, let's get going. With information into the world of education and tips on how to survive teaching, I'm Mr. M. These are my musings. Many teachers will have set some sort of reading homework for the summer break, libraries here in the UK have launched their annual summer reading challenge, and despite the allure of Nintendo Switches and endless YouTube and TikTok videos, some children will even open a book. But which books will they be reading? Now, last year, according to the WH Smith's children's book charts, the number one book in the UK was written by David Walliams, an English comedian, actor, writer, and television personality who's best known for catchphrase-based sketch shows that haven't aged that well and judging talent shows. I know a lot of teachers who despise Williams's books, citing a lack of imagination and terrible writing. A quick Google search will return many articles echoing the inappropriateness of the stories for children. Recently, Molly Powell, writing in thebore.org, stated simply, children should not be reading David Williams's books. To be fair, that's where I began my journey. I've never enjoyed Williams's humour, not as a comedy sketch writer, not as a judge on TV talent shows, and certainly not as a writer for children except that I'd never actually read a Walliams book beyond its title. I had simply assumed, rather pretentiously, that there was no way they could help children to appreciate a rich and varied literary heritage, therefore they had no place in the classroom. I was, of course, blithely ignoring the other aspects of the national curriculum for reading, that children should be reading fluently and with good understanding for both pleasure and fun. I have, in previous blog posts, talked of my dislike for Roald Dahl, and I had heard from colleagues and children alike that Walliams was very similar in approach and tone. In fact, in the blog post that I mentioned, I outright stated that I would have banned Williams's book the same way I banned Roald Dahl's were I not out of class at the time completing my MA. The difference, of course, is that I had taken the time to read Roald Dahl's books. I had evidence to back up my argument. I'd never actually read a David Williams book until a week ago. A year and a week ago, really, but I'm, you know, we're catching up here. Now, the plan was, I was going to read the most recent David Williams book, which at the time was codenamed Bananas, and write up my opinion, one that would probably have found me justifying my originally held beliefs, this time with some quotes and a smug satisfaction that I was right all along. However, as is often the case when I'm about to do something less than clever, my amazingly patient and clever wife stepped in and asked if I had read any others. I had not. Don't you think that's a bit unfair, she asked. 
Also, being a scientist by trade, she criticised my N of 1 approach. This is where you have only one piece of data to back up your evidence. She recommended that I read at least three. The most recent, the very first, and the most popular. And damn it, she was right. I had to read at least three. Luckily, I had the app BorrowBox, so I was able to get all three books I needed on loan as ebooks from my local library. I borrowed and read The Boy in the Dress from 2008, the first book, The Ice Monster from 2018, the most popular book, although frustratingly now I can't find the article that confirmed this, and they all seem to be saying that Gangster Granny is the best-selling book, but it shouldn't affect things too much. And Codename Bananas, which at the time of writing this blog post was the most recent book. It's now two years later, and he's probably written another one. Anyway, here's what I thought. The first thing that struck me was the number of chapters in the books. Codename Bananas had four parts and over 50 chapters. This was excessive, I felt, and I questioned the efficacy of encouraging children to read a chapter before going to sleep, if the chapters were basically paragraphs. However, Dan Brown does the same thing, and I like his books. There, I said it. So the chapters thing shouldn't really be an issue. They might even be useful, but more on that later. There's an awful lot of varying text size, something which really rubbed me up the wrong way. And instead of using deliberate and specific vocabulary, Williams opts to simply make his choice of simple words bigger. On top of this, all three books had pages and pages taken up by a single word or a repeated phrase. No thank you, Mr. Williams. Not for me. There are so many fart and bum jokes in all the books I read, and, and I know they're written for children, the use of bottom burp and it was me bum bum and ooh, uh, me body isn't happy made me cringe and completely took me out of the story every time it happened. And it happened a lot. The characters are archetypal, women come off very badly in two of the three that I read, the stories are predictable, the jokes are the stuff of Little Britain, that's for those of you who don't know, that's Williams's sketch show. Um, there's also a lot of fourth wall breaking, and in Codename Bananas, the irritating addition of footnotes pointing you to the Walliams Dictionary for the definitions of the nonsense words. I found it all very painful, very lazy writing. Then I read The Boy in the Dress, and I have to say I was shocked. Yes, there were the occasional elements of laziness here and there, the archetypes were present, the social commentary that was probably edging itself out of date even in 2008, uh, the message of the whole book seems to be be yourself, but if you're going to wear a dress as a boy then it's probably best to be yourself in secret, which is a shame. However, the story romped along, and I found myself rather invested. It was still a very boy's own adventure, three women in the book, three, and they were an absent mother, a love interest, and an overly sensitive teacher, but it wasn't a bad read. The Ice Monster was probably my favourite of the three. Again, several parts and no fewer than 78 chapters, but the story romped along. It was a pleasant read, and this one even had some slightly challenging vocabulary. More surprisingly, there were females in the book who were actual characters. Not many, I think only three or four, five if you count Queen Victoria, and they were a ruthless matriarch, a villain, a kindly mother figure, and an adventurous girl. Oh wait, I tell a lie. There were lots of girl pickpockets as well. The gang was run by a boy though, so there's still a bit of work to do with the whole girls can have adventures as well. But it was definitely an improvement. So what's my overall opinion of David Walliams' books? Well, for that, you're going to have to wait for a brief mention of someone who's not sponsoring this, but I think they deserve a mention and you will be pleased that I do mention them. I've mentioned them before, but this time we're going to go into a bit of detail and then, then I will discuss the academic merits of reading for pleasure, the conversation I had with my wife about the origins of children's fiction, and I'll let you know what my final opinion was. But I had to read a fourth book. A book from my own childhood. A book which, I'm not exaggerating, changed everything. But that's in a couple of minutes. First of all, I mentioned BorrowBox earlier. If you're in the UK, this is a fantastic free app that turns any smart device into your very own local library. All you need is a library card and the app. 
This is not an Amazon or Audible replacement. There are queues for the most popular books, and you can't guarantee that every single book is going to be available. However, they have such a wide range of ebooks and audiobooks that you're sure to find something. And it's free. Like I said, I used this app to access the three books I needed to write this blog post at the time and now this podcast, and I've also used it on holiday, and I've read my way through A Clockwork Orange, Grave Secrets, Uncommon Type, and even Darcy Swipes Left, a retelling of Pride and Prejudice through social media platforms, all for free. It's a great way to show that local libraries still have a role to play and deserve their funding. There are others as well. Libby is an international version, but I don't have as much experience with that. Honestly, these library apps are out there for your community and your country, and they're fantastic. If you enjoy reading, do yourself a favour and head to your app store of choice to check them out. Why am I particularly focusing on David Walliams' books? There are lots of celebrity authors for children. Why him? Well, I think he was one of the first ones to do it, and I'd, I think his books lack academic nuance and they stunt literary growth. And I'm not alone. Many people have criticised Walliams' books. I mentioned one earlier, here's another one for you. Jack Monroe, a food writer of all people, once said that Walliams' books are sneering, classist, fat-shaming, grim nonsense. And that's by no means an isolated opinion. But here's the thing, I do find it difficult sometimes to separate my teacher brain from my review brain. There are TV shows and films I would recommend all day long, and they have very little educational merit. When it comes to books, though, I have this thing where I feel they should educate as well as entertain. And, unpopular opinion here, I think that's unfair. Before I talk about the educational merits of Williams's books, I need to tell you about a recollection I had while reading one of them. When I was 10, my brother bought me a book for my birthday. My brother knew nothing about books, so this was a total surprise. It was The Great Smile Robbery by Roger McGuff, a poet. I loved this book. It made me laugh out loud, and I read it over and over again. I clearly remember being very proud of myself that I'd read three chapters in one night. Three! And you can draw a direct line from this book to my own writing decades later. And this Walliams book that I was determined not to enjoy was stirring memories of it. Could it be possible that I was letting my adult brain influence my appreciation for a silly children's book? Was I assuming that fart jokes and silly words were only entertaining to the lowest common denominator? I decided to conduct a little side experiment. I found and ordered a copy of The Great Smile Robbery. I would read it after the Walliams books and compare the humour. Well, it turns out I could compare more than the humour. The writing style, the pages taken up by a single word, the illustrations with labels that were used instead of prosaic description, the absurdity of the plot, even the language choices, all were similar. And I loved this book as a child. So now I was in a bit of a bind. Clearly, had David Walliams' books been around when I was the target demographic, I would have eaten them up. It was just possible I would have to change my opinion. So I looked at them from a different angle. Instead of trying to prove that the books were terrible, I started to look at how they could be used in class. After all, our job as educators is to encourage children to read. I started out reading utter rubbish, apparently, and went on to develop a love of literature so great that I did my undergrad degree in it. Is there a way to use the popularity of David Walliams' books in the classroom? Is there educational merit to these books? Yes, yes there is. As tawdry as Codename Bananas is, it is set during World War II, a common history topic for English primary children. There's no reason this book can't be used as a class reader alongside, or even instead of, more popular reads like Goodnight Mr. Tom, Carrie's War, or Rose Blanche. That's right, I said it. Codename Bananas talks about air raid wardens, the Luftwaffe, the Blitz, evacuees, it's got everything you need. On top of that, you can use the not-so-great writing to teach children how to make it better. 
With my newly unbiased teacher hat on, I saw a lot of ways this book could be used to great effect in the classroom. And this was my least favourite one. The Ice Monster is similarly suitable, this time for the Victorians. There's mention of HMS Victory, the Thames freezing over, the rich-poor divide, the death of Prince Albert. It's even a little Dickensian in places, and there's a lot you can do with that. The short chapters actually lend themselves quite well to in-class study, as they're an ideal length to discuss and annotate and use as a base. Now, I was shocked that these books actually had academic merit, to be sure, but nothing quite prepared me for what my wife said when I told her my findings. I mentioned previously that my undergrad degree was in English literature. For my dissertation, I wrote a commentary on the loss of innocence in classic children's literature, basically showing how, since 1865, books written purely to entertain children had gradually taken on darker and darker themes. Anyway, that's not important. The important thing is that Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass made up a significant chunk of my research. When I was telling my wife about the blatant similarities between Dahl and Williams' writings, she asked for examples, which were provided, and she said, how is that any different to Slithy Tove's Guyering or Jabberwock's Whiffling? And she's right. I adore Carol's writing. All of it. The Hunting of the Snark is one of my favourite poems, and he used a lot of nonsense. He practically invented it. Then Leah, another one of my favourites, developed it. Nonsense has been a huge part of my literary upbringing. The books I enjoy today are so fantastical as to be considered absurd by many, so what right do I have to condemn Walliams, or even Dahl for that matter, for theirs? What's wrong with whimsy? I said previously that I would ban books by David Walliams. I think that was wrong. I might suggest some further reading by different authors, but I would also, gulp, recommend Walliams books to children who didn't like reading. I think they just might be a good segue into better novels. And by better, I think I mean more approved of by adults. So that's my conclusion. Having read three of Williams's books, to be fair, this was uh, written in July 2021. It is now August 2022. And have I read another Williams book? I have not. I, I just did, don't need to. But I also haven't dissuaded anyone from reading Williams's books. Again, I've recommended others. But I've, I've stopped myself saying, okay, you shouldn't be reading this. Let children read the books. They're, they're not as bad as you think they are. And on that very definite beat, I think we'll leave it there this week. But do tell me if you've ever banned a book or a whole author, or if you've ever wanted to ban a book that a child was reading and then read said book and realised, oh, actually, it's not that bad. I did it with uh, Zoella's first book. I ended up having a whole race with three of the other boys in the class because the girls challenged us too, and I don't back down from a challenge because I have issues. But it was, actually wasn't a bad book for the genre. It was, it was, it was pretty good. Um, Twilight's another one. Not as bad as you might think. What's, that's an interesting one. What is the book that you thought was terrible, but actually turned out to be actually not that bad? Let me know. Enjoy your summer, everyone. I'm off. Mr. M's Musings, the podcast, was written and edited by Carl Hedley Morris. The music is Busy City by Track Tribe. If you like what you've heard, please let me know by leaving a rating or dropping me a comment in Twitter. Similar content can be found at www.mrmsmusings.com and you can hire Mr. M to tutor your child or speak at your school. Head over to www.igniteeducation.co.uk or email info at igniteeducation.co.uk for more information. Thanks for listening and I will catch you next time.